Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Millennial Love, a podcast from The Independent focusing on everything to do with sexuality, relationships, identity and more. We touch on a wide variety of topics ranging from how to have feminist sex to how dating has changed in the post-Me Too era. I'm your host, Olivia Petter, and today on the programme, I'm joined by author and journalist Lisa Tadeo and senior therapist Sally Baker to discuss child grooming and abuse. Welcome both. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. So Lisa, you recently wrote a brilliant book documenting the sex lives and relationship lives of three women uh, with very different stories, I suppose. Uh, But the one that we wanted to focus on today, today was that of Maggie. Uh, who was sexually groomed by her high school teacher. So I guess my first question for you is, how did you find Maggie? I was in a um, coffee shop in Medora, North Dakota, which is a very, like, cowboy part of the country. Um, and I was uh, following on a, up on a lead that there were a group of immigrant women who were working in the coffee shop and being trucked out to the local oil fields to have sex with men for money. And while I was doing this, I was reading, I was having a coffee in that coffee shop and I was reading a local newspaper and I'd read about Maggie's story. And a trial had just ended wherein she had brought charges up against a her former English teacher who with whom she'd had an alleged consensual relationship when she was 16 and 17. And uh, the trial had found him had found mostly in his favor. Two of the charges were uh, considered a mistrial, but the rest of them exonerated him. And uh, I was just, uh, what I read about in the paper was that like the text messages had not been recovered, but there were these hours upon hours of phone calls after 11 p.m. at midnight. And I was just so, you know, struck by that and that nobody was really talking about it or they were saying he was helping her. So I drove to Fargo the next day and introduced myself to her mother. And that's how it started. How open was she to sharing her story with you? It was difficult at first because she had been terribly misused by the local media in Fargo where she was living. Um, So it was hard at first, but then I think the, the desire to... Have finally have her story story heard by a non-judgmental, you know, like all the media were basically like, you know, either dismissing her version of events or, you know, calling her names. Mm. It's a really hard story to read as well because you see the way that the teacher, uh, his name's Aaron, he um, is named teacher of the year at the high school. He seems to face no real consequences for his actions whereas Maggie seems to be completely shamed and there are protesters outside the trial when it's going on calling her a liar Um, and obviously she only told her parents what had happened years after Mm -hmm. is that right yes so I wonder obviously with things like child grooming and and what is essentially a form of sexual abuse with what happened to Maggie Sally how common 
do you think stories like this are? Because it's it's quite hard to tell because I imagine mm. lots of women don't actually come forward. It's massively underreported mm. and it happens so covertly as well. But I think the drive to bear witness, like Maggie had, to tell your story tends to come out, but it can come out decades later. It's not unusual. Mm. And then not to be believed and to be vilified feels like another layer of abuse. Mm. It's very hard. And you often see that being used against victims, I think, when they when they do wait years. Yes, yeah. I mean, they're almost unprovable crimes, aren't they? Because there aren't often any witnesses. Mm. And people's um, misconception that sexual abuse of children is violent rape with injuries is, is too limited because love, seduction... Grooming, we should really call it love and seduction because mm. grooming kind of covers it up for what it is. These young people are abused through the, through the power of seduction. Mm-hmm. With Maggie, it was consensual, you know, and she never, she never said that it wasn't. But, you know, the, the narrative is what is hurtful because, um, you know, she, she, she was a young woman who, you know, from the wrong side of the tracks, to use a cliche that is, you know, the way that I think that a lot of people described it um, in the local media. And here was this man, this vaunted man in her mind who was her authority, an authority figure who told her she was worth something in the world, that she was valued. And, you know, I think that she didn't really know what she wanted from it. She just was pleased by the attention and grateful for it. He was telling her she was smart, you know, and then it gradually began to build with these text messages. And she said, which I found so illuminating, was that, you know, I didn't want to cross a line. Like he was, I was very afraid to cross a line. He made me afraid. And so he was the, so whenever he would sort of bring her to this, to this point where she had a choice whether or not to take it over the edge, she always didn't. And then he would kind of wait a few days and go, you know, what I wanted to tell you was, and she would say what? So it was this very prolonged Mm. courting that, you know, I think, as you said, grooming is not, is kind of, you know, it, it's it's a limited way of describing it because I wouldn't have described what he did quite as grooming. No. Like I I met with a group of pedophiles in uh, Intercourse, Pennsylvania, of all places, and they were in this halfway house for pedophiles, and that was grooming. Like sure. this man was, uh, you know, over the years for like five or six years, grooming his stepdaughter and buying her presents. And this was a different situation. And that's not to say that what he did was not unequivocally wrong, but to call it grooming, as you say, makes a lot of people go, well, it wasn't grooming. And it it wasn't, Mm. but it was still wrong. But I think even with grooming, and we've had really Mm -hmm. uh, serious cases here in the UK that are still being brought to public attention, it's that incremental Mm -hmm. attention and stretching of boundaries and also the power imbalance. So rich versus poor, you know, right side of the tracks versus wrong, the age thing, Mm -hmm. the experience Mm -hmm. thing. So you've got young women or young boys being preyed upon by people who are much more experienced and much more knowing. It's a cynical act. Totally. Incremental. Yeah, I think a part of the book that made me feel most uncomfortable about the relationship between Aaron and Maggie was he he took her copy of Twilight, mm-hmm. which obviously is something that teenage girls mm. obsess yeah. over. And he made notes through it and, and said certain things reminded him of her. That feels it's incredibly really manipulative. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. 
So Maggie was kind of described by some reviewers as sort of like a Monica Lewinsky kind of archetype, like this idea of this irresistible young nymph who purposefully sets out to destroy the life of an older man. And that's a narrative I think we see time and time and again with cases such as such as these. So do you think that is a reason why Maggie's story wasn't believed and probably still isn't believed by a lot of people? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that, you know, for the people who, like, there are members of the jury who said, even if the notes were unequivocal, even if the the expert had found them to be, like, she said that it was a, the 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 actual terminology she used was not very strong. It was very strong and it said it's definitely not Maggie writing it, but it wasn't strong enough to, you know, convict mm-hmm. Canodal in that sense. But that said, what some of the jurors were like, even if it were his, I wouldn't have convicted. And so you have situations like that where it's it's like, you know, it, the idea of, OK, so what if he did it? It's still your it's one, your fault sure. that it happened and two, your fault that you're wrecking this man's life. Yeah. And it's not dissimilar to the Michael Jackson right. leaving Neverland documentary yes. Yes. and those those men. Yeah. It was very hard for Maggie to watch that. I'm sure it was. And it triggered a lot of my clients. Yeah. Aaron, his his wife, you know, she she was aware uh, by the end of the affair between Maggie and Aaron, wasn't she? She and she um, testified and completely stuck by her husband. Mm-hmm. Why do you think she did that? You know, I've thought a lot about that, and I think a lot of people are like, "Well, she's you know that's that's not she made you know she's at fault too." And I, you know, obviously, a part of me agrees with that, and then this other part of me thinks, you know, she didn't she didn't do it. Uh, she was probably as felled by what happened in in her own way as, you know, in not her own, you know, very much in a different way as what happened to Maggie. At a certain point, it's like, you know, there's these three children that mm. you have with this man. Yeah. And to to put him in jail must be a very difficult decision to make. And, and scary, scary for her. Yeah. Right. I mean, you're literally not only has your whole life been upended by finding this out, but now your whole life is about to be upended again. Yeah. What do you think when you were reporting on Maggie's story? Because he spent four years with her, right? Uh, Yeah, um, three, at least three years. I wasn't there for three years, Mm -hmm. but I was talking to her for three years. What was one of the most shocking revelations you discovered when you were with her? When it came late, actually, that's... um, it came late and there were many shocking parts, but I also knew a lot of the things from the trial. So it was mainly her giving me the flesh to the skeleton of what I knew. The most shocking thing was something she told me later, which was that she um, had per- long like extensions on her nails so that she couldn't pull her own eyelashes out. So oh, that was quite wow. Yeah. So she was self harming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But wasn't even really. It didn't come out till later. So she wasn't. You know, like a lot of these things, it's not. It's not like at the forefront of your sure. brain. The truth is so often in the pauses. Yes, totally. Yeah, and it's great that you stuck with her long enough to her to yeah, disclose. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's part of it. The lo- length of time is really. You know, makes it so powerful. Yeah, mm. Sally. Yeah. Why do you think people such as Maggie, who clearly have such powerful stories to tell and have the evidence you know to a certain degree why do you think they aren't believed societal norms don't allow women to have any kind of sexuality of their own Mm -hmm. um 
there was a survey recently about women's sexual confidence in their 20s, 30s, 40s, all the way to 60s. And women who had the lowest sexual confidence about themselves and their own sexual abilities were in their 20s. Mm-hmm. So women in their 20s are really struggling. And it gets slightly better in the 30s. And by the time you're 60, where people are, you fall away from the gaze, then actually women come in. Women take a long time to come into their power. Mm-hmm. We kind of take the scenic route. And kids get in the way of all of that as well. Yeah. And men's expectations and then society's expectations are part of that. Mm -hmm. So they're not believed. We're not given traction or allowed our own sexuality. Yep, 100%. Yeah, it's all modified Mm -hmm. through the male gaze. Mm -hmm. Do you think part of that is the reason why Maggie was so easily manipulated by Aaron in those initial stages? Yeah, I mean, exactly. You know, about the male gaze, it's sort of, it's for, I think, a woman, for many women in the beginning, it's largely performative. Yeah. So, you know, you're you're trying to appease and to, like, you know, Lena, the suburban housewife in the story, uh, you know, there's, she had having this extramarital affair and she knew that if she told this, lover that she was to he was married to if she told this lover how into him she was that he Mm. would pull away and I think with Maggie you know it was the same sort of there's a if she wanted too much it would be it would be off-putting yeah in fact women want so little yeah and are grateful for so little yes and that's why attention is so seductive Mm -hmm. because what the teacher did was pay her Mm -hmm. attention yeah Yeah. exactly and validate her Mm -hmm. yeah going back to Aaron then I know you've said in interviews, Lisa, before that you wanted to explore desire rather than sex. Do you think Aaron ever desired Maggie or do you think it was sort of just about power and asserting his control, finding something that was missing in his relationship? Yeah, I think it was. I think it was almost exclusively like what many men do is reliving their past. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it's a part of that. I do think he... You know, I think that she was a um, a sort of cipher for that part of him that, you know, he got married fairly young to his wife who he had met in college. So I think that, you know, like Tiger Woods, which I also wrote a story about, like Tiger Woods with, you know, all of the affairs, it was like all of these women were suddenly all over him and he hadn't had that in high school and college. And I think that you see a lot of that with men who which I'm sure you're aware of who haven't mm-hmm. had that. But also, you know, at the same time, I think that you get confused in the beginning and you don't know what it is. I think that happens to a lot of people, both men and women. And she was this, she is a, a lovely young woman, but she was this, you know, this kid. And he said things like, you know, I love, like, I love the way you swing your legs in class. That was this thing that, you know, she would like just sit on a desk and swing her legs like a kid, yes. you know. And so, and he was probably thinking of the way in high school that he might have liked a young woman who did that. I don't think that's incredibly awful. I think it's normal, of course, but I, I mean, not completely normal, but I think that it's obviously the acting on it that is the, the, the issue. Problem. Yeah. yeah.
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss Aaron's behaviour still feels abusive it's not necessarily yeah. sexual abuse they never Correct. they never had actual, consent, actual penetration, penetrative yeah. sex but it is still abuse isn't it still yeah. abuse yeah could you explain why what, why it is still abuse Sally because of the impact on her mm-hmm. because that that's the we can see the outcome the effect on her has been so negative mm-hmm. and so enduring. Mm-hmm. It's been very hard for Maggie to carry on with her life, hasn't it? Yeah. I think it's just as much him as it is the society around us. Yes. Like if, if you know, if there's been a sort of guidebook for her in a sense, um, I think it would have been, it would have been different. But, you know, also a part of the, the abuse is in the reticence on his part, in the sort of reticence that when, when you know, people in who are, w- when it's two adults, that reticence is still painful. But it's painful mm. in a way that you must endure because it's life, you know. Um, and with Maggie, like he didn't, he didn't want to have penetrative sex until she was 18. I mean, obviously the other stuff is just as, you know, but he had these, these Things he was putting in place. Yeah, Yeah. his rules, she had to follow them. Mm. She knew that if she didn't, it would be over. So that's part of it too, I think. There's a certain, like, he's not letting her have anything, any element of control is completely his. And that's obviously an adult authority figure move. Yeah, The enduring nature of sexual abuse and how long it takes to get resolution, to Mm. be able to bear witness to your story and and then be resolved of the pain of it, mm-hmm. can be a lifetime's journey, unfortunately. Because yeah. he had so many rules, didn't he? He also said to her, you know, you can never call me mm-hmm. first. Mm-hmm. Um, he asked her to put his wife's phone number into her phone mm-hmm. um, just to be like, if you ever see this number, don't pick up. Because mm-hmm. the way that the way that the wife found out, uh, am I right in thinking she called him on his birthday or yes. texted him and, and she yes. saw? Yes. Maggie texted him while he was in the shower. Right. Oh, okay. Because she said, you know, I didn't know. I knew there was a rule, but, you know, it was someone I loved's birthday. Mm. Sure. I was like, how can I not, how can I obey the rule when it's, 
is he, you know, am I just, it, it was, so that was her breaking the rule ended up being exactly what he sort of, you know, said it fear. to be. Yeah. To yeah. And so that was, and then he calls her and the snowstorm and it's just like the end of her world as she knows it. She was devastated when it ended, wasn't she? Utterly. I mean, I think that, you know, first of all, like you said about the Twilight, you know, things we have as young women mm. and young men, like, and for Lena, it was the Princess Bride. Now, for me, it was too. The Princess Bride is like something molds you as, sure. a, as a child. If you're a reader or, um, you know, a, a lover of film, yes. something is, you know, sticks in your brain and that's how you kind of view what you might want from a love story and for mm -hmm. Maggie it was very much Twilight yeah. and then to have someone say you know I am your vampire lover to have that you know to draw parallels and say this is like us this is like you know that is so that's uh, such a it's such it's a very powerful mythology yes mm. but also the romantic mythology is almost as damaging to young women yes. as the pornographic mythology exactly. but the pornographic mythology is stronger these days because we've mm. got our boys are being educated online with Porn, yeah. with expectations of sexual activity from from their partners yeah. from like day one yeah what do you think is the impact of a book such as Lisa's Sally in terms of changing societal views and trying to debunk some of the myths that we have about female sexuality? I think it's going to be a great conversation starter. I think it's going to expand all of our knowledge about women. It's a, it's a really important book. Yeah, I do. Thank you. I think we're going to move on to our lessons in love segment. Okay. Um, so this is the part of the podcast where I ask a guest to share something that they have learned in their past relationship experiences, uh, either about themselves or about another person. Um, Lisa, would you like to start by sharing yours? You know, I think that, I think the judgment is something that I've seen so much and the judgment of what you love and how you love. And, you know, I always think about, obviously a lot of my lessons in love came from uh, Sex in the City, which was my, all <laughs> uh, right. Um, <laughs> So, you know, I think there's so much in there that's so real and true, like the he's just not that into you mm -hmm. thing. One of the things, and I know it's so, it it feels so anti-feminist to say these days. And, you know, it's like the same, like my mother would say things like, you know, don't, if don't give the milk away, whatever, you know, oh, don't, yeah. what, what is it? I'm like. Flanking. They won't buy the cow. They won't buy the cow if you give them the milk. So you know things like that are so um, they're so they're not they're they're antiquated, right? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there is there's a biological reason why that's mm -hmm. true. Why older generations have told us that and passed it down. And so I guess one of the lessons I've learned is that is to be to sort of fight indifference with indifference to to try as hard as you can to do that um only because if someone's being indifferent to you you saying i want you i don't know that that's the power move sure. you know whether you're a man or a woman mm. so that's my my lesson it's funny you mentioned sex and city because i actually think even though you know it is an old show now and there are so many messages in that show that do seem outdated it's interesting to have a conversation about it because the whole Aiden versus Big debate, which uh -huh. is something that fans of the uh -huh. show continue uh -huh. to talk about, it's so funny because people always use those two men as sort of tropes to be like, right. okay, so mm. Big mm. is the man who is going right. to treat you like crap right. and he's going to pick you up and drop you when he wants. 
but he's also incredibly suave and sophisticated mm-hmm. and cool. And yes, he's cheated on Carrie. He's not treated her well. Then you've got Aiden, who is just the most benevolent, mm-hmm. kindest guy, treats Carrie like she's a princess, and yet Carrie chooses Big. Mm-hmm. And it's such an interesting debate because mm-hmm. people will be like, oh, I'm more of an Aiden person or more right. of a Big person. Right. Lisa, are you an Aiden person or a Big person? Oh, God. I mean, <laughs> I'm both. Like, I'm both. I would totally. Well, I, she did. Do both, she no did pun intended. But um, you know, and I think in the end, Aiden somewhat left her because, but she was always into big. I, you know, I don't know. I I'm married to an Aiden, but I have uh, so I guess I chose Aiden. But I have everything prior to that was big. Mm. Mm. I think that's probably quite a similar trajectory for quite a lot of women. Yeah. I'd say. Yeah. I think it is. I'm on my second husband. He's an Aiden. Was but the I... first one a big? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's so... See? Yeah. It's, it's so it's relatable. So, yeah, Every yeah, yeah. older you get, one. you're like, you know what? You have to get your mistakes just, out of the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what about you, Sally? Yeah. What's your lesson you'd like to share? I think I see the fallout in my practice of women who have internalized negative judgments from men, and they make it existential rejection of their whole self. Mm-hmm. So... There's no kind of therapy that can stop bad things happening to you. But it's how we make a judgment about the bad things that happen to us. Like the really extreme bad things, you know, the rapes and the assaults, all the way through to being breadcrumbed or gaslighted or just dropped, you know, ghosted. When women take that right to the core of them and hurt themselves with, with those judgments, I want them to stop doing that. I want them to find uh, the resilience. We're all learning lessons all of the time and to st- to be a bit more Teflon, a be a bit more non-stick and let that stuff go over our heads and not hurt us right to our core because that takes years to recover mm-hmm. from. How do you think we go about doing that though? I know from previous experiences, I, um, before I was in a relationship, I would date people who I met on dating apps and they would just treat treat me like, like, treat me like crap. I mean, I would as well, but it's just, you, I think you feel vindicated to do that with people you meet online because there's no strings mm-hmm. and sure. you know it, you you don't have any mutual friends you haven't necessarily oh, yeah, they're met out of context many times. completely yeah yeah um how do you think you find the emotional strength to to get yourself through that i think you need different that? strategies i think to put all of your effort onto online dating or tinder or whatever the app is can be too much i also recommend that my, my women go out mm-hmm. like do the face-to-face thing mm-hmm. especially if they don't fit an archetype of the of the perfect beautiful young person mm-hmm. When you meet people and you're animated and you're interested yeah. and you're engaged, that's actually very seductive. Exactly. So get out there. Unless yeah. you're going like, to cop off with your postman, I think you should be out there. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I like the postman. Yeah. <laughs> that's all we have time for this week on Millennial Love. Follow Independent Lifestyle on social media to keep up to date with what's coming up on the show. And if you're a new listener, remember to subscribe to this series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast or wherever you listen. Also, leave us a rating and comment with your thoughts on our conversation today. Until next time, thanks a lot for listening. Goodbye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.